The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. In 2017, crypto was a lot of things, but one thing it was not was easy to buy from New Zealand. Janine Granger was interested in the space, could see it could be a big part of the future, and was in a great corporate job. She decided to go in with her brother and set up an exchange that could help more people get involved, and so Easy Crypto was born. Today, it's transacted over a billion dollars in sales, with more than 150,000 people using the platform. To talk the journey, where the company and the space are heading, and what's next, Janine Granger, co-founder and CEO, joins us now. Tanakwe, thank you for being here. Hey, Mario, thank you for having me in. Hey, so first up, we normally start with kind of how people began uh, and, and kind of their their journey. And while I was reading up for this, I saw this great statement that you said that was, weirdly, my biggest financial success was probably dropping out of school at the age of 16. Can you tell us about that? It sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but um, yes, I am a high school dropout. I just didn't really enjoy the school environment. So I left at the age of 16, you know, as soon as I could pretty much and went into the workforce. And while I say this was a financial success, it comes from the point of view that when I was 26, I managed to get my first property. And by that stage, I'd been in the workforce for a decade. So I'd had a full-time income for 10 years, which, in, you know, in savings from that, even though I was on very little income, I saved a bit and, you know, managed to get that deposit for a house. By contrast, my friends who had gone to uni were probably only two or three years into their first job. And so it was just, that gave me that little bit of a, a head start, I guess, and it's possibly also a testament that you don't need to follow necessarily the traditional path. Um, I didn't go straight into uni from school because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Took time out, learnt more about the world, got good, um, you know, life skills, and then went back into uni later in life when I had more of an idea of what I wanted to learn. Yeah, that's so true. Hey, I went to a school where, um, you know, the people who w- went to university were all. Um, you know, living off toast at 25. And the people who had gone straight into trades had like four jet skis and three houses. (laughs) Exactly. And not, you know, different styles, right? It depends what you want to do long term, but it is, you know, it's not a path that people should necessarily dismiss. So, Yeah. And what took you to uni? What did you decide you wanted to follow? Well, I actually wanted to do engineering, but um, because I dropped out of high school, my calculus skills were not quite up to scratch. So I ended up doing um, economics and finance. And by the end of year three economics, I was doing quite significantly difficult calculus. So I ended up having all of the math requirements anyway, but I graduated with economics and finance. And to be honest, it's been a really great choice. It's gotten me some really interesting career opportunities and I really love where I've ended up. Tell us about what your situation was as you started to think about setting up Easy Crypto, as you were in a pretty great, pretty great strategy role at one of New Zealand's kind of most uh, desired places to work. Um, yeah, it was a really interesting story. The, the background was that I personally had gotten involved in crypto, and it was around 2014 or 2015. I came across it on the internet in some you know forum somewhere, and it just made a lot of sense to me. I was like, this is a really cool thing, and this you know it seems obvious that the world would have a global payment system, you know, like we have a global information system and communication system with the internet. 
So I bought a little bit of crypto back then, not enough to be a millionaire, but enough to just sort of like understand how it worked. And then nothing happened for years. Like crypto just did not live up to this potential that I so clearly saw in it. So I sort of forgot about it a bit. And then in 2017, um, there was this big sort of hype cycle, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, blockchain. It was all over the media. People were talking about it. And at that stage, I was working at a bank and um, everyone knew that I had Bitcoin because, you know, it's the topic of conversation and came up. And so then they sort of started looking to me to be the expert on all things cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. So I had to very quickly upskill myself in an area I really knew nothing about. And before I knew it, I was giving talks and presentations all around the bank and to customers around what the space is, where it's heading. And invariably, those conversations or those presentations would finish with people asking, OK, so how do I buy some? And that's where the, the impetus for Easy Crypto came from, to solve that problem that we could see people had of, like you said in the intro, it wasn't easy to buy cryptocurrency in New Zealand back then. Yeah, and it kind of sounds like, you know, all ancient history, but it's like five years yeah. ago. <laughs> and like, it was wildly hard to buy from New Zealand. Like, um, yeah, talk us through what kind of the situation um, was just then in terms of having to like set up a digital wallet and learn about all of these different um, processes. Yeah, so the digital wallets back then were nothing like they are now. And that's something that's really changed in the space. A wallet is now as easy as downloading an app on your phone. They're really simple. They've got a lot more user-friendly. Back then, I was using Electrum Wallet, if anyone remembers it. And I'm pretty sure at that stage, to use the wallet, you had to download an entire copy of the blockchain to your computer. So it took you a few hours to set up the wallet even, just while it was doing that syncing with the network. And so that kind of thing, it's like the the space was not user-friendly back then. Um, And also, you know, for New Zealanders, there were some companies selling crypto in New Zealand, but the markup was something like 15% on the global prices, which we thought was really unfair. I mean, this is a product that has no shipping costs. So, you know, why are we paying that much more in New Zealand? Or if you wanted to buy from overseas companies, you had to wire funds internationally and all of the delay in banking fees and sort of complexity that that involved. So we're like, right, New Zealanders need something that's simple, that's quick, and that's cheap, and we can build that. So... I say we, my brother built it, but I provided a lot of the support of everything else, like how to be compliant and how to run a business. And yeah. Yeah. And tell me about that thought process to jump in. Like, um, was it a, a scary or difficult decision or were you kind of like, you know, so convinced that you could see where this was going? Uh, yeah. What, what, talk us through that kind of feeling of jumping out of um, security after having built that security with such work. I think this one was really a, a journey by stages. And a lot of it was just, you know, the next step and, you know, the product market fit really found us. So um, my brother, Alan, you know, I said that I've been given a lot of presentations and friends and family were all wanting to get involved in crypto. And I am a relatively lazy person at heart. So I would sort of ask my brother to buy crypto for me rather than having to do it myself. And all his friends were doing the same. He's also a lazy person at heart. So he's like, there must be a better way to do this. And maybe I can automate this process. So he sat down to build something that would make it easier and automate the processes of buying and selling crypto for the people that are asking him to do it. Um, great bit of easy crypto history here is that he built the first version of easy crypto in five days end to end. And that included teaching himself how to code because he'd never coded before. Get out of here. Not kidding. We've actually, we've got the date stamps from the first code commits. And so he's a, he's a genius. It's great working with a co-founder who's a genius. Um, but he's also a little bit short-sighted in some areas, which is he built this thing in five days, put it live on the internet. Strangers were giving him money. And then he's like, hey, Janine, is there any reason why this isn't legal? And I was like, oh, dear God. So, <laughs> so that's where I came in. So it wasn't so much that I intended to launch this thing. It was that Alan had already kind of built it. And then I realized that what he was doing was possibly a little bit, there was some issues there. So I had my skills that I could wrap around and having come from a very corporate background, understanding, you know, 
law and regulation and accounting and finance and business operations and all those sorts of random skills I'd built up over my career were really useful in helping start this business and keep it running. So yeah, it was a very, you know, the, the product market fit found us, the business kind of just it evolved over time. And I didn't actually leave my corporate job until about three years into Easy Crypto. Um, a lot of that was that, and this is something I think is a really important thing for startup founders to consider, is there's a lot of chat of like, you know, if you've got this project, you have to go all in, throw yourself at it. Think about your situation and what works. Because for me, I kept my corporate job. I worked nights and weekends on the business. Alan worked sort of full time and my salary could help fund both of us while we were bootstrapping and growing. And that kept us from having to get external funding until actually our Series A. So I think in the long run, it was it was really hard at the time working two jobs, but I think it really helped us, you know, grow the business to a point where we had more security in it. Yeah, that's such an interesting approach is, yeah, you get to go all in, but you also get to lose a big chunk of yeah. your future uh, possibilities and, and choices. And in terms of like, you know, that bringing that mix of skills in to help to get the thing um, kind of, you know, legal and compliant and all the rest of it, that must have been a challenge as the whole landscape was still evolving in terms of uh, regulation and tax and security and all of yeah. that stuff. How how did that go and how did you go about kind of working out what the goalposts are in a kind of um, ever-shifting space? It's really complicated and not even just for cryptocurrency. I think for any business, like understanding, like there's no guidebook out there to say, oh, if you're launching an XYZ business, these are all the bits of regulation you need to care about. It's like, it's very much trial and error and you have to figure it out on your own. And obviously if you get it wrong, that can be very problematic. One of the things that I've seen the FMA doing is they're trying to launch a bit more of a sandbox and they also have this opportunity for people to contact them and say, hey, I'm doing this. What regulation applies and what government agencies do I need to talk to? And the FMA have a process to try to help handhold you or introduce you to different parts of government. I think that's amazing. That didn't exist when we started and it was quite a bit of trial and error. Um, I remember trying to register as a financial services provider because I was like, I'm pretty sure we need to be this. But they have this list of like 20 different, you know, what type of financial services provider are you? And I kept submitting options and I kept getting denied and the message would be, please try again, that's not the right option. I'm like, well, which option is it? And they're like, we can't tell you which option to apply for, but it's not that one. I was like, oh, (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, obviously we're bootstrapping. We don't have money for lawyers, that kind of thing. So, you know, I think it was about my third or fourth try that I finally nutted on the correct one. Um, you know, anti-money laundering was another big complexity. I, I spent my summer holidays 2017, 2018 reading the whole of the Anti-Money Laundering Act, which is quite a big beast. And it's, you know, like much regulation, when you dive into it, you find out it's not necessarily that doesn't make all that much sense. It's not always internally congruent. And it's actually quite challenging if you're not a lawyer to get across all this stuff. But it is possible. And I think the space is improving and, and initiatives by the government to make it easier for people to start business are really helpful. Yeah, and if you look in things like, um, you know, the crypto groups on Facebook and stuff, there's a lot of misunderstanding or a lack of knowledge about what the rules are from people yes. who, who own crypto and they're wondering about tax and there's kind of, you know, bush lawyers in there and, um, you know, there's some great, great kind of tools to help people now um, as as well. But yeah, it is an area where I, I guess because it's still emerging, um, it, it's not all set. Tax is an incredibly challenging one for us because I found out after we'd been operating, I don't know, a couple of months, we'd done about a million dollars in sales. And I found out that GST technically applied on cryptocurrency, which would mean here's a product that we're making a 1% margin on that we have a 15% GST liability. So that's a negative 14% margin, which you know, after you've done a million dollars in sales, was like, that's always enough to keep me up at night um, for many nights. 
And um, the, the inland revenue is actually, well, no, sorry, the government has re- recently, I think last month, passed a bill that retroactively removes GST on cryptocurrency all the way back to 2009, which is very unusual, but very, very welcomed. And again, things like that, you just don't know until you dig under the surface and you find out that, uh-oh. And because we're such a new industry, I think that stuff is a bit more prevalent with with crypto. And what was the what, what's the shape of the business you've built? Like, what does Easy Crypto do? Because I think if you're not close to the space... You know, when you hear about crypto companies, you hear about them getting hacked and losing <laughs> all of their coins and North Korea attacking people and all the rest of it. But what what part of the kind of um, ecosystem or market is Easy Crypto working in? So right now what we're doing is we're what's called a fiat on and off ramp. So if you want to take your fiat money, which is New Zealand dollars, um, and turn that into crypto assets like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, we help you take New Zealand dollars into crypto and vice versa. If you have crypto assets and you want to sell those back and get New Zealand money in your bank account, we can do that too. So that's our sort of current business model. But we are about to launch in probably two or three months, we'll be launching a custody service, which means we will help you hold your crypto assets. So you don't have to set up your own wallet. You don't have to have your own place to store them. We can look after that for you. And to your point around hacks, like this is a really, you know, it's a very important part of um you know, consideration for the industry is how we make sure that we make things safe for our customers. And, you know, Cryptopia got hacked and that was a a huge blow for the New Zealand industry and a lot of people had funds with that. For our custody solution, we won't be storing the custody ourselves. We'll be using sort of the most reputable best providers on the market who have insurances and we can also sort of aggregate across them to diversify through different providers. It's a very different place than it was sort of three or four years ago and the hacks are becoming much less frequent, but I think it's just one of those teething issues of a new industry in an industry where value can move digitally. It's quite a you know an attractive opportunity for um, criminals to look at. That sounds like a good solution where you don't have to also, on top of everything else, become the most secure provider of uh, services on the internet. Uh, and I guess that might, might be a problem, you know, a reason why all these people trying to build the stuff out and making it up as they go that you find those exploits. You probably do want the experts in this kind of Exactly. Case. You want someone who that is the one thing they do and they do it really, really well. And this is, you know, one of the companies out there that we're using is Firebox and they've just done raising and they've got like multi-billion dollar valuation. I mean, these are big, big companies. Um, and also that idea of, you know, that's kind of our business model is that we don't believe we should build everything ourselves. Our What we're really good at is making a really great, easy user interface and keeping things safe and simple for our customers. And in the back end, we aggregate from different providers. So even with the buying Bitcoin, we don't sit there holding all that Bitcoin ourselves. If you want to buy Bitcoin through us, we'll run off and buy it from, you know, Binance or Bitrix or KuCoin or Kraken or, you know, we can aggregate across all of the different providers in the market to make the safest, simplest, fastest way for you to get crypto. So bringing that aggregation model across custody and across the different products and services as we expand out is how we will keep growing. Awesome, and we'll be back in a minute to hear more about how Janine built Easy Crypto, their fundraising journeys, and where crypto's going. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. 
Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. We're back with Janine Granger, CEO at Easy Crypto. Hey, so the crypto landscape, you mentioned before uh, being at um, your company and everyone asking you about crypto. How do you describe it to people and how do you talk about it? Because it's such a kind of like site of fascination in the media and there's so much kind of um, kind of overly positive and overly negative coverage that people come across. I think crypto in blockchain more broadly is most simply it's a way of taking value and turning it digital. And when you think about how much of our lives are digital now, like how much we use our laptops, our smartphones, the internet for every aspect of life, taking value or taking money and putting it digital seems like an absolute no-brainer. And so it's not just money. So cryptocurrencies in their, their you know most original form around Bitcoin, etc., it's a way to do payments, a way to transfer value between two people. But you're also seeing... Shares and stocks can turn digital, money supply, like the Reserve Bank is currently consulting on a central bank digital currency, which is what would it look like if the New Zealand dollar went digital. Um, And also things like NFTs are digital representations of art or of other sort of things that you can own. So there's a whole lot of ways that our world and all of the ways that we transact value in the world will move digital over time. And cryptocurrencies is just one part of that and perhaps the first step in that evolution. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, hey. And you know, when you say cryptocurrencies is interesting, is that's been one of the real things that anyone who spent any Bitcoin uh, as a currency when they first got it is now kicking themselves for the rest <laughs> of time. And it's kind of interesting to see the growth of the the stable coins and some of these things that are actually more likely to be a currency. Do you? Yeah. How do you see the kind of like I guess the um, the camps in these coins coming out between that kind of value store and actual currency kind of space? I think it's useful to look at this as the analogies to the real world assets that we're perhaps a bit more familiar with. So Bitcoin, for example, it's not a very good payment currency. It's probably more like akin to a gold. So if you're going to buy a coffee at a local coffee shop, you wouldn't shave off a piece of gold. It's it's too hard to do it in small trunks. It moves in value too much. But you might use something like you say, a stable coin. And stable coins, are really, they're just the first step in taking our traditional money systems digital. And I use stable coins a lot, particularly for paying my staff overseas. So I can send them a US dollar stable coin payment. They will receive it near instantly, you know, within a couple of seconds. There's next to no fees on that transaction. What I send them is what they get, whereas opposed to using the banking system, it might take two or three or five days for them to get the payment. There's fees along the way. It's just a much more efficient way of doing money. And so you've got sort of, you know, Bitcoin's kind of like gold. Stable coins are kind of like, you know, payments, You've also got things like Ethereum, which operate a bit more like a platform and other currencies or other projects can build on top of Ethereum, sort of like you might see infrastructure. 
You've got currencies that act like term deposits. You know, they enable you to earn interest. Um, You've just got a whole different range of things that fill different niches. And I think we're going to see more of those, you know, created and invented. The innovation in the space is going to be amazing over the next few years. Yeah, and being in the, um, the, the industry... I guess a lot of people conflate a lot of things, don't they, if they aren't in the industry? Because you you hear about NFTs or you hear about, you know, a project that's, you know, not, not of high integrity. And then that stuff can kind of bleed into things that are higher integrity. How do you help people in, in your um, company or does your company help people kind of find a path to the higher integrity things? Or you know, what, what kind of stuff do you, because I imagine it's kind of a brand risk if everything kind of blows up. Absolutely. And for us, like ethics is such an important part of our core values at Easy Crypto. You know, we want to be the most ethical company in crypto. And that includes looking at, you know, what coins and what projects do we list? We had a whole lot of our customers asking last year for us to list a particular coin that when we dug into it and looked into the fundamentals, we're like, we actually think this is a Ponzi scheme. And we don't want to be responsible for our customers losing money, you know, in something that has, you know, really no underlying value Um, it's obviously a bit of a balance because we also don't want to be, you know, you can do this, you can't do that. So I think for us, it's, it's the ethics combined with education and giving customers that education, the tools for them to make good decisions about their own finances is really important. Um, you also sort of talked about the, you know, the, the broader perceptions and ethics of crypto. And I think a really interesting point to touch on there is around the environmental impacts. You see heaps of headlines around, you know, Bitcoin uses more energy than XYZ country. And that's something where I think it's a that's a really an education piece for um, the mainstream population. Where to me, the story of energy use in cryptocurrency is one of transparency, which is you can actually see the impact of the energy usage of what you're doing, and that's really rare in our world. It's very powerful, and that transparency drives innovation. And the innovation in the sector is incredible. So Bitcoin's the you know it's the granddaddy or grandmother. It's the very first currency out there. It's kind of like your first generation mobile phone. It has a whole lot of shortcomings. It's not, you know, very fast. It's not very um, usable. But the space is changing and most of the newer cryptocurrencies are on networks that have next to no energy impact. It's like, you know, no more than really operating a, a web browser. So the space is changing and innovating. I think it's a really important story for people to be aware of. Yeah, and that innovation that you mentioned, like there is so much and it's kind of easy to look at the the space at the moment and find whatever story you want about crypto and Web3 and, um, you, you know, all the rest of it. But it kind of seems to me like the, the dot-com boom, the real advantage of that was that it built out the infrastructure and the talent pool and the awareness for all of the stuff that came afterwards. So we might be in a bit of a frothy moment, hey, but it's going to have longer-term benefit. Yeah, and I think those frothy moments, they come, you know, in 2017, there was quite a lot of froth in the crypto market. And then that really died down. And we had what we called a, a crypto winter over 2018, when all the prices were depressed, a lot of projects failed. And again, similar to the dot-com boom, right? The the underlying development and the innovation that's going on isn't um, minimized by the fact that a lot of companies fail. It just shows that as humanity, we saw this amazing opportunity for innovation and a million and one people piled in, maybe only a hundred or a thousand succeed. But those are still, you know, that's where we got the the Apples and Googles on Facebooks. And, you know, all, all of that stuff came out of that period of innovation. So I think in cryptocurrency, it, it's a similar story. We've got so much happening in the market at the moment. Not all of the projects will succeed, but you've got to try 
a thousand things for one of them to work. Yeah, and I guess there's a few questions around that kind of the goals of, um, you, you know, c- cryptocurrency movements like decentralization and transparency are not something we're seeing an enormous amount of in the current kind of NFT processes where there's a lot of, and a lot of the coins, where there's a lot of kind of insider information and pump and dump. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes against kind of the, the principles of um of, of the movement, I guess. How do people, how do you help people kind of like like do their own research and find out kind of where those kind of higher integrity things are and how to kind of steer clear of some of those things that aren't kind of true to it? It is a really challenging space for that regard because the amount of research you need to do is really quite significant. And I think one of the things that I'd like to see in the space is a bit more regulation, particularly around consumer protections. So yeah, there shouldn't be opportunity for people to do insider trading on cryptocurrency if we treat it like a traditional financial product or service. That kind of stuff is a bit of a general no-no and for good reason, right? It benefits some people at the expense of others. So until we see that kind of regulation come through in crypto, which I don't think will be too far away, probably a couple of years, but in the meantime, it's just really important for communities to hold projects to account. And there's a lot of great people out there investigating what's going on, doing commentary. So if you go and research stuff, you can generally find out what's happening. Um, and I would encourage people, you know, if you're wanting to get involved in something that's a bit, a little bit fringe, like say it's not in the top 10 coins, do good research on it. Make sure you understand who's behind it. Make sure you're reading some diverse views about what's going on and seeing who's sort of doing independent investigations to help either lend weight to the credibility or challenge what the project is saying and perhaps give you some perspective on whether or not you should invest. Yeah, and it's a tricky space, isn't it? In that, you know, you know, one lot of YouTube videos can be very good and one lot of YouTube videos can be a colluded network of... <laughs> exactly, and you've got to watch out for those yeah. incentives, right? Like if someone's making money by you know, sending you to buy a particular coin, they're obviously going to have a um, a bit of a biased perspective there. And so tell me how you, so there's been a big wave in obviously crypto interest and awareness as it's kind of gone a bit mainstream. And you picked that real early to get at the front of that. Tell me how you've gone about growing the company and what stage is Easy Crypto at now? So for our first couple of years, we were a very small team, just uh, my brother, myself, and we had one or two others helping out. Um, And then over 2020, we really started to grow as crypto became more heavily adopted, I think in part due to COVID. A lot of people sitting at home, not having much to do, getting onto the, you know, this has been on my to-do list for a while. And also, I think as a society, we became a lot more comfortable with digital, which has really helped the adoption of digital currencies. So over 2020, we'd been doing a lot of work building out our expansion into other countries. So we're we're now in New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, and Brazil. And over 2021, we also went out and raised some funding. So we did our Series A in late 2021. Um, and we're now in really sort of, I guess, hyper growth stage. We've got around 100 employees. We've got, you know, a huge sort of international presences. Um, we're expanding into more countries. And we're really at that stage of growth of where you know, we're building hard, we're growing fast, and we're trying to get a really great product out there in market to compete into the big international competitors. And that fundraising run, does the kind of, you know, how have you found it, you know, raising from a country like New Zealand with something that's so in the new economy when not all of the traditional sources of funding are completely, let's say, um, in the new economy or even from from something I read uh, in, in the kind of like right way of mind? It was really, really hard. Um, I, I raised over COVID as well, which, you know, as much as we're like, yes, we can do things online and we can meet digitally, it's like there just isn't that replacement for meeting face-to-face. And I think it's quite telling that all of the investors on our cap table were either people that I had met face-to-face or were personal friends of people I'd met face-to-face. So I think there is something around that 
you know, that inability to sit down with another human and just, you know, build that confidence. Also, the New Zealand industry, for VC, I think the New Zealand industry has matured quite a bit over the last couple of years. There's a lot more opportunities out there. But we still found that being in the crypto space, a lot of opportunities were closed to us. So there are a lot of investors, particularly more conservative or traditional investors, who just aren't interested in touching cryptocurrency. That has changed, though. Um, we're actually doing a bit more funding at the moment. We're doing a bridging round, and we had one investor who said no to our Series A because they weren't into cryptocurrency has now um, d- decided they want to come in on our um, sort of bridging round, which is great. So attitudes are changing, which is helpful. Yeah. And I read in a newsroom story that you would in- like encountered quite a lot of sexism. Yes, it's um. There's a lot of stats out there on the sort of the macro level about how much fewer funding goes to woman-led or woman-founded companies compared to male-founded companies. But conversely, how those companies actually outperform male-founded companies with what they do per dollar of investment. And when you look at things on a macro level, you're like, yeah, clearly there is a problem. But I was actually shocked to see that on a personal level. I think we kind of have this expectation that, yes, discrimination out there happens somehow at the statistical level, but you don't see it day to day. Um, However, yeah, I had a lot of comments from people around, you know, around my gender, around asking questions around my plans for having a family, sort of of diminishing me as a female founder, um, and comments that I didn't expect people to make out loud. I sort of thought probably there are people who think this in their head, but the fact that people say that out loud shows that the problem is still way more prevalent than than we think. And so I think it is something that, you know, I've started really working hard with my team on just gently calling out unconscious bias. Like, you know, a lot of people, you know, you don't mean it. It's not necessarily something that's um, intended with any malice, but I think just the more that we're aware of it, calling out the the non-malicious and unconscious bias moments that can help sort of filter through to perhaps maybe calling out a bit more of the ones that are actually quite damaging, like, you know, people telling me that they wouldn't want to invest in a company run by a woman, so. Yeah, that's fucked, eh? And especially considering, like, you, you know, not that it's ever okay, but you you were already running a very successful company that was an absolute leader in the space that had crazy good metrics. How hard must it be if you're a young woman coming into the industry without a track record? And what kind of a break does th- do those kind of entrenched attitudes have um, that stop people even getting going? Yeah, it's it's super hard. And I think this is one of the things that I found it quite interesting how the feedback I've had from the community from, you know, from customers, from entrepreneurs, even from my staff of sort of seeing me being visible as a woman in the role that I'm in means a lot to other people. And that's also been quite a surprise to me. I was kind of like, I'm just doing my thing. It's not about my gender, but actually there isn't enough. The fact that I stand out as a woman in the role that I'm in says volumes, right? There just isn't enough people in the space, we don't have enough diversity. And so I think that's an important part of the puzzle. But also I think people just need to be more mindful of perhaps give people a break, you know, go a little bit further than you, than you would with, you know, if you're unsure about a, a woman founder, you know, talking to VCs here, perhaps just give them the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, because they've got all of this other bias that they're up against, maybe just cut them a little bit of slack and see, yeah, give them a chance. Yeah, give them the benefit of the doubt that you are giving the people that you expect to be in these roles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, subconsciously. Um, yeah, and in terms of like where you're going next, that hyper-growth mode, uh, currently kind of doing a funding raise, 100 people in those countries, where's Easy Crypto going next? Like what, what do you see as the big picture for it? So we really want to be a global company that gives everyone access to digital assets in a way that gives them financial opportunity and financial betterment. Because we really believe in this industry as a way to massively shake up how finance has been before. And finance has, you know, had a history of being quite exclusionary of benefiting those with more wealth and more access and 
you know, discriminating against those with less. So we're very focused on the Southern Hemisphere markets. Um, We really see there's a huge amount of opportunity and value that we can bring for people there. We will be going global as well, but we're starting in sort of, you know, Southeast Asia and Africa and South America. And we want to build the platform that is the easiest way and safest way for people to access this industry. So like I talked about before, we're not necessarily building every product and service ourselves. We're finding the best in market. We're aggregating. We're pulling it all together in a single place that's really safe and really simple and gives people what they need. And having been through this journey so far, I mean, it feels like it's only kind of starting this whole space uh, as well. What would your advice be for people who are looking into, you know, areas that they can see will be the future and, you know, maybe people are coming up to them and asking them because they know that they're experts in these spaces. What would your advice be to them if they're thinking about getting involved or or getting going? I think two things. Probably just start, right? Because it's, um, it, you know, that's really the first step is have to just get involved and just start doing something. But I think secondly and importantly, to really get the right support around you. So for me, I was very lucky to have a co-founder. Um, Neither Alan, my brother, nor myself would still be here today if it wasn't for each other. There were so many points along that journey that we would have given up, um, but it was really only loyalty slash obligation that kept us going. Um, you know, and maybe you don't have a co-founder, maybe this is something that's right for you to do on your own, but if you've got that, you know, get support from your partners, from your friends, from other people around you, and also look at other ways of support. Like for me, financial support for the business meant that I stayed in my job, and that was the right decision for me at the time. Um, And there are things like that, you know, more widely that you want to look at to make sure that you've got the right networks and support to help you make the best success you can. And looking from the outside, like it looks to me like a great success now, but what will success be for you, for the company and for yourself? Yeah, it's funny that it looks like a success from the outside. I can kind of see that, but I still feel like I'm just like one wrong move away from failure all the time. And I think that's the, the, the founder startup journey, right? Is you're just, you feel like you're always on this precipice of failure and um, it's, a, it's a daunting place to be. Um, but yeah, in terms of success long-term, like I really believe in what the industry that I'm working in has to offer people. And I really want to be a part of bringing that to people. We do see ourselves as being the most ethical company in crypto. And I think there's a huge, immense possibility and opportunity for us to do good for people if we hold on to that and manage to keep scaling and growing globally. So that's what success looks like for me, making a billion people's lives better. That's so cool. Thank you today for sharing your story. That's Janine Granger, the CEO and co-founder at Easy Crypto. Thanks very much. Thank you to Janine Granger, to you for listening, and for everyone who helps make this happen. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. Inohora. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Kia ora e te iwi, te Butler here, Podcast Manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.